You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC, and now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors, everyone. This is Rochelle Vanderzanden here with Corey Janoff today. Hello, hello. Today, we're actually going to spend some time talking about first-time home buying. I know as, as people start to wrap up training and academic years, a lot of times this comes up. So we wanted to, to chat about it a little bit before some of you go through that big transition. I know... We've been talking a lot with clients lately about interest rates and things like that, too. It also seems like people are, are feeling some pressure to buy. So we wanted to talk through a lot of the pros and cons and things that you should be taking into consideration when you're trying to make that decision. It really is a very, very big decision, and a home is a big commitment. So whether you're buying a house for the first time or, or buying, like, moving into a new house or something like that, obviously every time it's a big commitment, but especially that first time because that's the first time you're really getting into that market and, and it is a big commitment for sure. So we're going to talk a little bit about a few different things that you just want to be thinking about when you're getting ready to do that and and some questions to really sit down and ask yourself and, and try to get a feel for if you're really ready, if it's really the right time, or if maybe it makes sense to hold off for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Time, timing. I think that's a big theme here, especially for doctors, just given where you're at in your careers. You know, if you're still in training, lots in flux, you could be moving in the beginning of your career. I would say from experience, anecdotally, about half of all the doctors I've worked with have changed jobs within the first few years of starting their career. So odds are you're not going to be in the same location necessarily. Uh, you know, for for the entirety of your career, and and that's big because when when you're talking about buying a house, you know, you really need to be in the home for you know probably at least a handful of years in order to make it worthwhile. When you compare cost of owning to cost of renting, you know, obviously there's things that um, we can't really predict. Like you could get lucky and housing prices could skyrocket in the market that you're buying in, and you could you know make a lot of money after owning for just a year or two, but. When you look at all the transaction costs, the real estate agent commission, the title fees, the you know, record keeping fees, taxes, closing documents, et cetera, you know, you don't have those costs as a renter. You do as a buyer, and it usually takes, you know, a handful of years at, you know, historically normal home price appreciation to really offset uh, you know, those costs. But um, when it comes to timing, you know, we don't want to try and time the market that goes for investing in stocks. It also goes for buying houses, the whole idea of, oh, it's a good time to buy because housing prices are low. I guess, yeah, that could make sense, you know, if we're in a recession um, and, and prices are low. But, you know, the, the, whole, the opposite goes true, the fear of missing out because you think prices are going to keep rising and rising and, you, and you'll get priced out. Um, you know, who knows? Hard to predict the future. And, uh, you know, we really caution people against rushing in to a home when it's not the right time for them. Like if you're moving to a brand new city, like I mentioned earlier, there's a decent chance, you know, a coin flip chance that you're probably not going to like it, that you may not like the job you're moving to and you're going to ultimately end up relocating. You know, I'm sure, Rochelle, you probably have some stories of clients who, you know, moved to a new city, bought a house and then a year later trying to sell the house. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing that maybe comes up even more commonly is that people want to buy that first house immediately when they get their new attending job, but it stretches them so thin and they are so uncomfortable for that first six to 12 months because they had to come up with closing costs. And, you know, even if you do a 0% down physician home loan, you still have to come up with money for closing costs, for furniture, for all of those kinds of things. So if you're moving and you're moving from, you know, residency or fellowship or wherever you were and you're doing your first attending job, there's probably a little gap in income there. And then you have to come up with all this money up front. It can be really, really uncomfortable. And so that's that's something I feel like I see a lot where people just expect that the second they get this big paycheck, everything's going to be magically fine. But when you're trying to play play catch up, basically, it can it can be a real struggle. So if you can give yourself even six to 12 months after starting that new job, if you are making significantly more than you were before and your your cost of living is fairly similar, like you should be able to save up money very quickly and put yourself in a good place to be able to do that comfortably. And I think that that that's not emphasized enough, you know, like it moving, moving multiple times, it sucks. <laughs> but so it is just like having to pinch pennies every month when you expected to be able to relax a little bit more. Yeah, I can tell you from experience that buying a home is going to cost more than you anticipate and owning a home is going to cost more than you anticipate. Like you said, Rochelle, it's not just, can I afford the mortgage payment? And is it you know less than the rent payment potentially? No, you gotta factor in the furniture, the moving expenses, things break, you need to fix them. If you have kids, your house is gonna get destroyed and you're gonna have to patch things up. And then obviously all the transaction costs we already mentioned. And you know, if you live in a house long enough, you're gonna get sick of it. You're gonna wanna like redo the kitchen, redo the bathroom, change things around. You know, you, you may think you've found the perfect house in your housing search, the dream home, but I can promise you after the lust wears off living there for a few months, it's just four walls and a roof. You're going to find things you don't like about it and things that annoy you. There's no perfect floor plan, no perfect, you know, design. It's, it's just there's – you want to try and get most of the things, you know, I would say try and get all the must-haves, of course, you know, and then as many of the nice-to-haves – as you as you can, the more the better. But it's not gonna you're not gonna be able to get everything, and your must haves and nice to haves are gonna change as life changes. So over time, things are gonna evolve, and yeah, you'll probably move you know several times throughout your career, upgrade the house, downgrade the house, etc. But you know the the less times you move, the less you spend in transaction costs, and uh, the more you you ultimately keep in your pocket at the end of the day. Uh, Rochelle, what are yeah, some, maybe, can, or go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I feel like we're being kind of downers right now. <laughs> but sometimes I feel like we do that and then we have to dial it back and be less less downer-like, I guess. But anyway, let's just assume that you are at the point where you're ready. It's it's time. You have a little bit of money in the bank. You feel like you're fairly settled where where you want to be and, and you just want to move into a more permanent place. And and. That is a great place to be in, and I think that that can be a very, very, very good move for people financially as long as, you know, they don't have to get into the house and then sell out of it two years later because it wasn't the right place. Um, But if you are ready, there's definitely some things that we want to talk about there too. Like, what do we do? Like, what do we do now that we're ready? And I would say, like, the first couple of things is just, like, leading up to that purchase, try to baby your credit. 
as much as you can. Like if you have any credit card balances, top priority, pay them off. And then from month to month, try to make sure that your balance is only like 30% or less of what your credit line is. So, you know, if you have a $10,000 credit limit, let's try to keep your balance below $3,000 on that on that card or just on your, your revolving lines of credit overall. Um, that will improve your credit score. Paying off credit cards will actually improve your credit score pretty quickly, which is nice. Um, and then other things like try not to do any really big transactions in the in the couple months like leading up to buying a home. Like you don't want to buy a, a car and then turn around and buy a house the next month. Like you, those kinds of big transactions will like put a hard check on your credit, which is not the end of the world. You know, it just brings your your credit score down by a, a few points and it recovers pretty quickly over the next few months. But still, like you want to have the best credit score possible because you get the best interest rate when you have the best credit score. And obviously, the, the lower the interest rate, the less it's going to cost you overall to get into that home. So that's a big one. Um, and I would say like, when you're getting to that point where you feel like you're ready, also just reach out to a real estate agent or a couple of real estate agents. Find someone that you feel comfortable working with and get the lay of the land because they will know a lot about the market, about buying in that area. Like, what does it look like? How competitive is it? What is a, a good time to be buying? When is inventory usually a little bit higher? Um, all of those kinds of things they can kind of tell you. Um, from personal experience, it, it does seem like when you give a real estate agent a budget, they're going to show you that and maybe a little bit more. So maybe, maybe undersell what you're looking for a little bit. Um, and I, should, I, I shouldn't generalize entirely. Obviously, not everyone's going to be like that. But especially if you're, you're in a place where people are bidding over asking constantly, if you're looking to spend $500,000 on a home, maybe don't look at anything that's priced over four fifty. Um and you don't want to get like the cheapest house you can possibly get. You want to be happy in your home. So try to find something that is like the least amount of house that will make you happy. Because if you're not happy, you're going to want to move two or three years later anyway, even if it was the right time to buy. So you have to have a little room to grow, but just don't, don't stretch too far basically. And then after that, probably makes sense to reach out to a couple of banks and, and get some pre-approvals, just figure out what interest rates look like. Don't go to one bank and assume that that's going to be the best fit. I would suggest definitely looking at a few, but don't spread out those inquiries over a big chunk of time. If you have them like run your credit and do those pre-approvals within like a two-week period of time, it just looks like one hit on your credit. Otherwise, if you do it over months, it can look like multiple hits on your credit, which can definitely start to add up and affect your credit score. And you can inquire with mortgage companies without having a formal credit check. Like you can just call up mm -hmm. the mortgage person and say, hey, here's our circumstances. Here's what we have going on, income, debts, recurring monthly payments. Can you just give me an idea of what we can qualify for or anything to be aware of that we need to clean up in order to get a more favorable approval? So you know, I would almost even suggest reaching out to the mortgage person first, even before the real estate agent, You know, just to make sure you... You, you, you can get the, the best approval possible. And in addition to babying your credit, you, you really want to be mindful of, like you said, Rochelle, any big transactions um, or, you know, you don't want to go buy a car. Any large deposits or withdrawals in your bank account are going to raise red flags from the mortgage company. You know, there's some really strict mortgage laws out there and everything has to be really documented. They have to have a paper trail for everything. So, you know, if you're planning to, to use some money from family for the down payment, you know, 
you're not allowed to use borrowed funds. So it has to be considered a quote unquote gift if you're going to use that. It's perfectly acceptable, but then it has to be documented. It has to be you know, reported properly. Um, now, I guess there's no rules in the future against you gifting your parents back a similar amount, but you know, it can't be borrowed uh, funds. It can't be a loan that's being used um, and, and really try and avoid any big transactions, any big changes. Don't open new accounts or make you know anything like that. It's just going to make life a little more complicated when trying to get approved for that mortgage. So make sure things are tight and buttoned and, and then you should be in good shape. Yeah, I guess that's one other thing on top of the credit was just to make sure, you know, you have a good chunk of emergency reserves and savings and in, in checking too, because the bank's going to want to see that you can pay your mortgage, whether or not your income is there, at least for a few months. For sure. Generally, depending on the housing, the price of the house and the mortgage balance, you know, generally like four to six months of mortgage payments need to be in reserves. Now they can count balances in your retirement accounts, like up to 50% of the balance as your quote unquote reserve requirement. We don't want to use our retirement money for a home purchase. If you pull money out of a retirement account to buy a house, like an angel will lose its wings. Just don't do it. Um, we want to be <laughs> keep our retirement money for retirement, but like they can use that balance for reserves. So for example, like maybe you're, you're new into practice, you, you graduate end of June, you don't start your next job till September and you're trying to buy a house that summer, your bank account balance is going to dwindle a little bit. But with your first paycheck, you're anticipating a, a large signing bonus. You know, you, you have it contractually agreed upon, you're going to get that influx of cash with the first paycheck in mid-September. Well, maybe that's a permission slip to take our bank account down to a pretty uh, a below uncomfortable level. You know, the mortgage company can use that retirement balance, if you have one, as, as part of the reserve requirement. And then you just your bank account gets replenished with that first paycheck. Obviously, the stars have to align well for that circumstance to work, but there's an example of, you know, where, uh, you know, depleting the bank account could be okay. But yeah, you'll need to have, in addition to just the down payment and closing fees and moving expenses, you'll need to have a little bit more as reserves because otherwise they won't approve you for the loan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've definitely had that happen with clients before too, where they were like, well, we're doing a 0% down loan. And then it's like, oh, we still need to come up with $30,000 somehow, some way. Um, and, you know, people can make it work. And gifts are definitely helpful in those types of situations. But um, I think that's, you know, the next thing that you want to do, or maybe even before all of these things, is just kind of decide on how much house you can afford like before giving the real estate agent a number, like really, really think about what that number is. Um, everyone's circumstances are different. Like obviously if you have five kids, you, you have some other expenses that you need to be considering on top of, you know, any generic formula that you might come up with. Um, but you can work backwards through your budget and kind of figure it out. Like what are all of your expenses? And you don't want to forget things like, retirement savings like we don't want to put all of these things on the back burner for a mortgage payment because your mortgage payment that's that's 30 years like you're gonna have that for a long time maybe not necessarily 30 years but a standard 30-year mortgage like that's that's a long time that you're committing to making that payment 
Um, so we just want to make sure that we're not stretching ourselves so thin that we can't do the other things that are goals in your life. Maybe it's traveling. Maybe it's saving for retirement. Maybe it's making sure you have enough money so you can set aside some money for college for the kids. Like just put all of those things in your budget, not just utilities and groceries and things like that, but, but everything that you want to accomplish and try to figure that out. Um, if you think you have $3,000 left per month to make a mortgage payment, you have to also consider like you have the taxes that are going to be included in that. You have likely some property insurance that's going to be included that too. So it's not just that principal and interest. You have to make sure that you're leaving room for all of those things. So it it is kind of interesting like maybe you can afford to buy a $500,000 home, but it's not necessarily like this is the home we can afford. It's the mortgage amount. So maybe if you can afford a $500,000 mortgage and you have $250,000 from a trust or money you've saved up or whatever it is, then maybe you can afford a $750,000 home because you're putting that $250 down. So everyone's circumstances are a little bit different, but definitely make sure that you're, you're very carefully considering what that looks like long term, not just for the next year or two. Now, one question we'll often get, you know, we've, we've kind of done the math, all right, based on our current income, how much can we afford and expenses, but, 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 can we stretch it a little bit because these expenses are going to go away in a few years, you know, once PSLF forgives our student loans, we'll, we'll have, you know, a, a smaller bill there, or, you know, once the kids are in school, you know, kindergarten, we won't have the, the daycare or nanny cost anymore, or, hey, I, I, I've joined a private practice, I'm on a $300,000 salary, um, and on a partnership track, and, and, and you know, in three years' time, once I'm fully a partner, I, my income will be estimated to be between five and six hundred thousand. So, do I buy a house based on the three hundred thousand dollar income budget, or do you think I could stretch it a little bit closer to that five or six hundred thousand income budget, knowing that things will be a little tight the first few years, and, uh, and then it should you know, open up a little bit, and. Again, everyone's circumstances are different. You know, we got to kind of take it case by case. Obviously, there's risk associated with stretching things a little bit. You know, things are going to be tight initially. You know, you may not be able to save as much as you would like for retirement. If it's a new job, the job may not pan out as planned, etc. So there, there's obviously some risks associated with that. But the benefit of maybe going a little bit beyond your initial budget is you're locking in the mortgage now. And, and buying a house at today's housing prices. If mortgage rates go up in the future, that, that means you can afford less house with the same income. Um, and if housing prices rise in the future faster than your income rises, then you know again, you, you're not gonna be able to afford as much house down the road. So pros and cons, of course, you know, risks and rewards of, of taking that gamble, but um, you know, it could be a scenario where if you're you're pretty confident in in how things are looking ahead and, and you anticipate either expenses to be lower or income to be higher with a pretty high degree of certainty, then yeah, that might be a scenario where we do stretch the budget a little bit to get that house that we really want that we're not going to want to move out of in five years, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that whole, like we want to hold on to a house for at least five years. It doesn't mean that five years is a magical number. Like obviously if you can buy a house that you stick with for 10 or 15 years, that'll probably be much more beneficial. So yeah, if you if you can make it up or make it work, sometimes it can make a lot of sense. 
Um, we do have some kind of general guidelines. I know I said like every everyone's circumstances are different. Reverse solve around your budget. But generally speaking, we found that if people can keep the mortgage balance, like the total amount that you finance within like two to three times what your gross income is before taxes, then usually you've left enough room in the budget where you can do the other things. And obviously, if there are big student loan obligations, if you do have lots of kid expenses, it's probably going to be on the lower end of that range, maybe like two times your gross income at the most. If you don't have student loans, if interest rates are really low, then maybe, you know, moving up towards that three times number is going to be comfortable. But that rate change I think this is kind of a relevant conversation right now, but this can make a big of difference or a big difference in what your actual payment is per month. So you can have the same mortgage. So let's say it's like a $700,000 mortgage at a 3% interest rate, and it could be the same payment that you make on a $500,000 mortgage with a 6% interest rate. Like those movements in interest rates have a direct impact on how much your monthly payment obligation is. Um, and obviously, it also impacts how much you pay over the life of the loan. Like, that's a big thing, too. Um, so if if you can lock in a lower interest rate, then obviously that's going to give you a lot wiggle, a lot more wiggle room to be able to, to buy the house that you want more, which is also, I think, a lot of what's driven prices upward with homes over the last couple of years because as interest rates were really low, the amount of house that a person could afford to buy was larger. Yeah, and if interest rates rise... It'll probably put some downward pressure on house, housing prices. That doesn't mean housing prices are going to come down. It just means it's going to be more challenging for housing prices to rise as rapidly as they have been because not as many people will be able to afford more expensive houses unless their income magically increases pretty significantly. So um, something to be mindful of there. I think a good, you know, we talked about the two to three times income rule, but probably a, you know, more appropriate one that's, you know, irrelevant to what interest rates are is try and keep your total housing payment under 20% of your monthly income. Um, you know, so if you're bringing home, you know, gross, let's say you're bringing 20000 per month in, you, you don't want your housing cost to be more than what is that 4000 per month Four thousand. um yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so you know mortgage taxes insurance the whole nine yards uh you know keep it under that now again everyone's circumstances are different you know if you've got three kids all in daycare like that that's that's like two mortgage payments right there um but and, and if you have a hefty student loan balance that you're paying off you know car payments etc so maybe we can't even afford quite that much we need to spend less but no childcare expenses, no student loans. Maybe we can afford to go a little bit further. But you know, again, general rule of thumb, if you can keep your housing cost below 20% of your income, which is a lot less than what a mortgage bank will approve you for, FYI. Yep. But if you can keep the housing cost below 20% of your income, it should still enable you to save a bit for retirement, put some money aside for college for the kids if that's a goal of yours, still be able to make your student loan payments and you know take some vacations here and there and not eat rice and beans for every meal. Absolutely. Um, I like, Corey put this on the list, but I love this rule. The rule is always get an inspection. Just don't like if they're trying to sell you a house and they're like not <laughs> they're not allowing you to get an inspection like that's one of the criteria there's a reason for that 
there is absolutely a reason that they don't want to do an inspection. Um, there are other options. If, that, if that's the house you really want, no house is perfect anyway. You could really assume that, that one's probably going to need some work. Just move on. Do something else. Someone else can buy that house and waive the inspection and be on the hook for all the repairs that are needed. Yeah, our next door neighbors. So we moved into a, um, a new construction spec home What about seven years ago now. Um, and you know our next door neighbors... I think they got an inspection, but they didn't get a sewer scope, which was part of the inspection that we did. Um, they were, they thought, well, you know, new construction, everything should be in good shape, et cetera. Well, it turns out when the house settled, I guess, it put a kink in one of the pipes uh, kind of near where it entered the street. And long story short, one of their downstairs toilets back flooded and sewage water is all over their downstairs. And, you know, fortunately, you know, the insurance covered it. But, um, you know, it could have been prevented if they had that inspection with sewer scope. They could have fixed that issue before they moved in. And then just the, you know, forget the cost, you know, just the headache, you know, having to move out of your house for a couple months while they replace the floors and clean things up and like, ah, just a mess. So, yeah, definitely always get an inspection, never waive the inspection. I don't care how hot the market is. If, you know, everyone's waiving inspections, like it, it just, it don't buy a house then rent. Like, I don't care. Just get an inspection, <laughs> get an inspection. It, you'll, uh, you'll be thankful you have it for that peace of mind factor. Absolutely. And don't try to stretch for that dream house. It doesn't really exist anyway. You know, like make a list. And, and this is one of our earlier or earliest episodes about home buying, but, you know, really sit down with your partner. If you have a partner and make a list of all the things that are must haves and then make some separate lists about all the things that are like things you would like to have. Um, and, and you could have deal breakers for sure, but you're probably not going to get a house that checks all of the boxes. Um, if you do, good for you. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. No, like it, it is impossible to find the dream home. It's like I want a home with four bedrooms, an office, a bonus room for the kids, a fenced backyard for the dog and – I want it to be small enough that I can clean it myself in an afternoon. And, you know, it's like, no, that that's not going to work. Like, you know, you have a bigger house, it's going to be a pain to take care of and, you know, more expensive to maintain. And, you know, there's nothing that's perfect. Um, mm -hmm. you, know, you can't, you can't have the master bedroom on the main floor and have your master bedroom upstairs to be close to the kids, you know, rooms. Like, it's, that's a, like, that's physically impossible. Um, you know, it's just, it's just the, the perfect house doesn't exist. So again, yeah, try to get the most the the most of the things that work for you at this juncture in your life, and maybe look ahead a little bit to the future. Like, do you plan to expand the family? Maybe, you know, going with the home that has the extra bedroom would be smart. That way, you don't feel cramped in a handful of years as your family grows. So, um, little things like that to to really sit down and discuss and kind of figure out that must have and the nice to have list would be helpful in your search. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's figuring out the mortgage, <laughs> which is probably one of the earlier pieces. But when you are looking at, at various banks and various products that the banks offer, there are several different types of mortgages that you can potentially get. Um, there are physician home loans. I'm sure a lot of folks listening to this podcast have heard of those before. The magic 
quote unquote, of physician home loans is that you can usually put a smaller down payment down, basically less than 20%, and still not have to pay for something called private mortgage insurance. That mortgage insurance is an additional cost that you pay that's like tacked onto the mortgage that actually protects the bank if you default on the loan. So it's not even insurance for you, it's insurance for the bank. Most average borrowers, if they do, you know, take on a mortgage and they have less than 20% down, that's automatically kind of part of the package. As a physician, there's a lot of banks where you can qualify for, you know, a 10% down, 5% down, maybe even 0% down loan and not have private mortgage insurance. The interest rate that you pay is generally also a function of the size of your down payment, though. So, you know, like with a 5% down physician home loan versus a 10% physician home loan, you might pay a little bit more in interest for that 5% down just because you're putting less down. So keep that in mind when you're, you're looking at all of those options. The other big thing is just fixed mortgages versus adjustable rate mortgages. I think in this interest rate environment, interest rates are very, very, very low right now. Um, I, I think they, I don't, I can't imagine them going lower. I feel like they only have up to go from here. Obviously, we can't predict that for sure. We don't really know that. But with an adjustable rate mortgage over, you have like a, a short period of time where that rate is fixed, maybe five, seven, ten years, depending on what you select. And then after that, the interest rate can start to go up again. Um, it can sometimes make sense if you like buy a house and you're like, this is a starter house. We are not staying here. We are selling it in five years. Then maybe it can make sense to do like a seven-year arm. But right now, it seems like a lot of times the, the fixed interest rate loans are, are fairly similar to what the variable rate mortgages are. So the variable rate ones might be a little bit lower, but probably not enough to make them really enticing. And then the fixed rate mortgage options you have, you have like a 30-year fixed mortgage or a 15-year fixed mortgage generally. The 15-year the mortgage will have a little bit of a lower interest rate and you'll pay a lot less over the life of the loan. But even with 30-year mortgages, the rates are so low right now that it can be really beneficial just to do that, keep it simple, and keep more money in your pocket to do other things that are very, very productive, like put more money towards your retirement savings, make sure you have enough to fund college, all of that kind of stuff. You can always pay the 30-year loan off faster and yeah. you have the flexibility to do that, whereas the 15-year loan, you're locked into that minimum 15-year payment. So 30-year definitely gives you a little more flexibility, um, especially if the interest rates aren't drastically different. You know. Yep. And then when you're doing the math to figure out how much is this really going to cost per month, you have your mortgage, the principal and the interest, you have the escrow, which is homeowners insurance and taxes. Sometimes you pay for that outside of your mortgage. Most of the time it's kind of bundled in there. And then in a lot of neighborhoods, there's HOAs. So if we're thinking about like that budget number, make sure you're considering all of those different things. And then also assume that there will be maintenance expenses. That is a thing that you don't have to deal with as a renter generally. Like there, there's someone else you call when the water heater breaks. But when you own a home, there's no one to call. It's you. I mean, you call a plumber, but then you pay that plumber. <laughs> so, you, you know, depending on the age of your house, that could be like a pretty high number. It could be a fairly reasonable number, but there's also a lot of unpredictability with that. So, you know, just building in a little bit of extra wiggle room in your emergency reserves can be a good idea. Like if something happens, you know, we can take care of it. We don't have to worry about it too much, but there will be expenses. Even if you're in a brand new home, there will absolutely be expenses that you haven't necessarily considered.
Yeah, like blinds. You got to buy blinds for your new house if it doesn't have them already on the windows. That usually doesn't come standard with new construction. And on the expenses side, you know, again, why it's important to get an inspection. The inspector can tell you, hey, you know, this roof maybe only has a few years left before it's going to need to get redone. Or like, hey, you've got some, you know, issues with the drywall over here. You know, that's probably going to need to get repaired. Or, oh, your, you know, water heater is on its last leg. Like, you know, it'll tell you a lot of the things that you can prepare for down the pipeline. Even if there's nothing materially wrong with the house, at least it gives you an idea of what's to come in the future. Yeah. And, you know, when you go into this, don't get your hopes too, too high. <laughs> Just prepare for some disappointments. They will happen, especially right now. I feel like there's been a lot of really competitive situations and you may lose out on offers to other buyers. There might be counter offers from the seller. So, you know, you may make an offer. They may be like, oh, that's not good enough. But if you give us this much money, that will be good enough. Um, it's also a really frustrating process. Like they will ask you for so many documents. Sometimes the communication isn't great with your, your mortgage broker. Like they may ask you for the same thing multiple times. You may feel like, you, you know, they're asking you for you know contradictory information like i need this oh uh, just kidding i actually needed this this was the other thing that i needed and you have to sign a bunch of stuff and it feels like you're signing your life away like there there's some thick documents and you kind of are signing your life away <laughs> to a certain extent but it, it's it's pretty overwhelming especially if you're going through it the first time there's also like a very strict schedule because the seller is trying to sell their home. It may be that they're trying to buy another home because they're selling their home. And if that's the case, then like they have a super strict timeline, which you are trying to accommodate and make sure everything works out for them too. Um, and so just, you know, prepare to put some work in. It takes time, it takes effort. Um, and it's not the most fun thing, but then you get settled and you know, now you have your own home and it, it can be really exciting too. Yeah, we did a good job bringing people down there. It's it is a frustrating process, and as frustrating as buying a house is, selling a house is way worse. So um, <laughs> it's where hopefully you, you're in a home you can stay in the long run because all the documents that you have to sign to buy, it's like triple that to sell, and yeah, know, on top of that, you got to make your house look pretty for the prospective buyers. So. And on top of that, you're probably buying something else at the same time. <laughs> so when you're selling, there's, yeah, there's a lot of things to juggle there. That's for sure. But it's all good. Definitely an exciting time. You know, I know we talked a lot about the negatives and, and, and things to be mindful of so you don't trip up. But, you know, long term home ownership is good uh, in most cases for most people. You know, the, if you own a home, it, generally speaking, homes appreciate with inflation, maybe a little faster than inflation, depending on what index you're looking at. Uh, so it's kind of a I don't know if it's necessarily a wealth building tool, but more of like a forced savings tool. And I think we've talked about this before, but you know, the money you put into a home, you know, in a good case scenario, you're probably getting that back when you sell your home for hopefully a higher price in the distant future. Whereas money you put into renting, you are flushing it down the toilet in that sense that you're not getting any of it back. Where home ownership. Um, the costs could potentially be greater, but you know you might see that money back, at least a good portion of it back, when you sell on the back end. So, 
I think ownership is beneficial. It gives you some flexibility and options and you know, you're not, you know, you own the home. It's part of the American dream and you can do what you want with it. You don't have to sell it if you don't want to. You don't have to leave. It's not like the landlord can kick you out. So um, there definitely is some some power there and uh, that can be beneficial in the long run. But we want to make sure we're approaching it prudently and not getting in over our head because that's probably the biggest thing that in our experience really impairs people from achieving their financial goals is they spend too much money on a house and they're not able to put enough money towards the other things that are ultimately more important in life. So, Absolutely. Let us know if you have any questions. We're here. Have a good one. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanden Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden. Check out all of the podcast episodes on the finitygroup.com slash podcast on our Finity Group YouTube channel or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC.